welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here today with an interview with Damian Mason. Damian's got a new book out called Do Business Better. It's all about how you can do business better. And this is a good guy to listen to. He's a speaker with a comedy background. So I think he'll have something for everybody who's checking out this podcast. Before we get into that, real quickly, I would like to thank our Patreon supporter for this episode, Josh Liston, who's listening to us all the way from Australia. Hey, thanks, Josh. And uh, thanks to David Hooper, who mentioned me in his book, Big Podcast, which I think led to Josh finding me. So how about that? The world is connected, my friends. Uh, Like I said, Damien's a great guy to listen to. We met a while back. You'll hear a little bit about that at the beginning. But he's going to give us some things to look for to improve upon as we do business better as independent business owners, speakers, and comedians. Let's jump right into it. Hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with Damien Mason. You may remember Damien from episode 150 when we talked about the business of creativity but now, not only is he busy being creative, he's busy being productive. He's got a new book called Do Business Better, Traits, Habits, and Actions to Help You Succeed. Damien, how's it going this afternoon? Thanks for having me, Rick. Obviously, it's always a pleasure. I actually like you, and we've got a lot of history together, so I'm looking forward to our time together here today. Yeah, I was excited that you put the book out, which also uh, tells me that you have a new program slash speech out that you're out there delivering and helping businesses get better at things. And as I look through it, I'm like, man, we are as speakers and comedians, business owners and the product and the salesperson. So this book, top to bottom, chapter to chapter, has stuff that we can apply immediately if we don't have it in place already. And even more so, I think, let us know, oh, whoa, I don't have that part at all going on. That's why I'm suffering in this area. So I want to dig into it today. Sound fun? It sounds like a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me here. And yeah, we can certainly talk about the, the book and all of our background and all the things that I've learned that I think your listeners can actually apply to their business. Yeah. And Damien, if, for those that haven't listened to episode 150, we met first time a long time ago when we were both impersonating other people who were more successful than us at the time and possibly still could be. Uh, he, he was a Bill Clinton impersonator. I was security as Barney Fife. And uh, we met there. I got some good tips that day from Damien about uh, dressing a little better in the uh, pre-event meeting in the <laughs> side room with the client, not coming in and camouflaged and ripped up Ohio State t-shirt. Uh, just look in the part so you earn the money that you deserve. And from that point on, I knew this is a guy who approaches speaking and comedy and all that stuff as a professional. And that's why he's, he's doing what he's doing. And today he's helping us with stuff. So without too much uh Backstory. I want to kind of get into some of these things you talk about in the book and feel free to dig as deep as into it as you want, but leave some meat still on the bone so people have to go buy the book. Well, I think <laughs> first off, Rick, what's really exciting is that uh, you're, you're helping me tell people about the message of the book, but also, you know, a lot of your people tune in because they are in comedy, they have worked in comedy, they want to work in comedy, or they're just infatuated with and think it's a cool thing. You've even told me you've got some listeners, they're never probably going to be comedians, but they love the craft and they love what happens behind the scenes. So 
the one thing I guess that I want to make sure that your listeners get is yes, I have a background in comedy. Uh, I, I didn't do clubs as much. I have done clubs. I can do clubs. I choose not to do clubs in my old days. I started out like everybody did doing gigs in people's basements for, you know, a hundred bucks. And then you're doing parades. And the difference is I was a political comedian. So I decided, Hey, this thing really has wheels probably doing the rubber chicken circuit more so than the clubs where I can get paid better and make it more about current events, et cetera. But I've done the clubs, done the open mic nights, done the gigs in people's basements, parades, garages, birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, the whole, the whole shooting, uh, you know, the, the whole deal. And, um, a lot of the lessons that I've got come from a background in comedy and creating a business based on comedy. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting too, because as a political impressionist, you knew that there was a horizon somewhere down the road where, you know, Bill Clinton wasn't going to be in office anymore. Uh, could have been in jail perhaps or prison. And you could have rode that wave a little bit, but so you, you knew on the horizon, you had to start building something alongside that. And you developed, you know, your, your first program for ag, uh, agricultural businesses out there. But since then you've moved on not only from that, but you've moved into innovation uh, to get you some work outside of ag. Cause you know, we both know that ag is slow in parts of, of the calendar year and you need to have other groups to speak to, but That's also right. a lot of innovation transferred to ag as well. So you could go back to those clients with your new program. That's, that's the deal. And, uh, the, the issue, I guess, what you learn is, uh, I started out in political comedy and it was very specific political comedy dressed up as Bill Clinton with fat padding and makeup and hair paint to look old and like a, like Bill Clinton. So you're doing shows any character. A uh, few things you learn from that is first off, there's people that really can't separate the character from uh, the, 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 you know this because you do Barney Fife stuff and it's like, oh my God, Mayberry, I love you. And then after a while, then you'll have people talk to you about, do you remember that episode with Crazy Cooter or your, you know, <laughs> Goober? And you're like, I, I'm, I'm just a guy, you know. <laughs> right, right. I'm not really him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rick Roberts from Nashville. Um, so there's that. But then you also, with my situation, you have to very, very frankly look at your thing and say, there is a finite horizon on this. This thing will end. It has no choice but to end. It, it has no choice but to go away. I put on another light for you, Rick, because I just realized that I wasn't, you weren't seeing me good enough. Yeah. So that's one thing that you learn is, and when you're looking at your product, knowing that it's absolutely going to go away, then it's a, a dead sprint. How can I maximize the heck out of this in the short run? Uh, because this thing probably isn't going to be here 10 years from now. And then you're still building your career, but it forced you to say, what's my next business going to be? And the valuable lesson there is start working on it sooner than you think, because when you're, when you're backed into a corner, it's a terrible feeling. You're just absolutely starting to make bad decisions. Your, uh, your, your horizon becomes like, oh my gosh, I thought this was going to take me like a week or a month or a year to get it turned around. And here it is in the third year. And that's the tough part. Yeah. And on the same lines, how do you start saving time to develop that new program while you're still delivering the current program? Well, I wish I had a better, I wish I had a better self example for you because I didn't do that. Um, what happened to me was I thought, all right, you get, as you know, you get to where you're finally successful and that's hard in this business. So you're selling and selling and promoting and promoting and writing and, uh, you know, doing gigs on radio and all that stuff that tries to build your business. 
And then you get to where you're finally a pretty good act and your, uh, your show is good. You're in demand. And then for me, it went crazy by in the third year. I did about a hundred gigs, uh, you know, at all, almost all corporate at some level or private parties and kept bumping my fee. And then you're rolling. And I was still young. I still lived like a college guy because I was only 26, 27 years old when things started to take off. I was 25 when I quit my job. So uh, I lived really, really a Spartan lifestyle. So that was all fine. So I was like, all right, I got money saved back. I'll be okay. And I did. And I was. But I thought, all right, in about the year 2001, things are going to change a little bit. The Bill Clinton thing is going to go away because he's going to leave office. And I'll still do political comedy, but I probably won't do as much. Instead of doing 70 to 100 of these gigs a year, I'll do 40, 30, whatever. And I did. And then 9-11 happened, and it absolutely precipitated this, this hell that we that we went through where political comedy was no longer in demand. My money all got cut in half, all the investment saving, et cetera. And I said, yeah, it's sitting there. Well, then it went bad. And then no phone calls came in for the next six months except for to cancel gigs. So what happens there is you really get thrown into the corner in a very quick fashion. And I said, all right, I'll take a year here and get myself reinvented. Well, it took like five years. And that's the challenge that it's very hard once you become good at one thing and the world knows you as one thing. And trust me, everybody listening right now, if they have a, a comedy program or their own business, they are known to their clientele as that one thing. And it's really hard to get unpigeonholed. And in fact, you finally realize you have no choice but to just walk from those clients because they're never going to see you as anything other than what you were, not what you want to become. Right. And that's, you know, those were tough times back then, especially the whole landscape changed as far as the value of speakers and the value of comedy. Probably needed more comedy back then than ever before, but they didn't see the value in having that as a no, business then, owner. Then, you know, the, the, corporate, the corporate stuff were like, well, we can't justify having people in here be making jokes. This is a serious time for our country. And you, you and I are saying, well, it's probably a really good time to, you know, let the humor button, push the humor button and, and let some steam off. So that was a difficult time what it taught me was you got to start the reinvention before it's necessary. So I wish I had a better self example for your listeners, but I, I was always putting files together. I was still always observing and I always was a reader. That's the important thing. When I was traveling, I wasn't just laying around getting stoned, watching Scooby-Doo. I know that's the perception of some people in comedy, <laughs> right. I, I, you know, I, or what I, I don't, would have done. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't smoke weed. I don't have any problem with people who do, but I don't smoke weed and I laying around eating cheeseburgers and watching Scooby-Doo all night. Wasn't really my thing. Well, I like laying around and watching TV once in a while because we all need that break. I tried to always look at my business travel as my time to get better at me. And I read the USA Today, which is certainly not a heady publication, but at least the money section of USA Today is you're learning about finance. Then I bought finance books and I bought business books and I always picked up business publications. And I decided that was where I was going to essentially be going back to school with all my air travel. And that's a really important habit. Uh, everybody that wants to be successful should read, but everybody that wants to be successful in comedy should be a great observer. And being a great observer doesn't just mean uh, checking out what's going on on Snapchat. It means putting everything down and watching your fellow man, but also reading a lot. And that was a big help to me because then it, I never lost my business edge from being a corporate guy. Uh, I'm like, okay, this is the direction I got to go. And, uh, you know, you said, how do you set the time aside? 
then it gets to where you have nothing but time when, when, when uh, you know, right. <laughs> when the crap hits the fan. Well, when that happens, you're not as productive as you think. I know that everybody's listening going like, why didn't you just take a year and just set aside and write? That's neat to say. I know there's movies where people do that. They go and stay at a lighthouse for a year and just like write their <laughs> memoirs. Well, first off, I don't have a lighthouse. And secondly, I don't know uh, – I don't know that I could just hang out. In a, I mean, I'm weird as it is, but who the hell could be weird enough to just hang around in the lighthouse and, you know, for a year? You're a lot better when you're always working. You and I both know that. Your best gig isn't after you've had two months off. Your best gig is after you just worked on Tuesday and again on Wednesday, and then you had two days off, and now it's Friday or Saturday, and you're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm on. Uh, so you're a lot better at your writing and your creativity when you're still working. So we went through such a terrible slump that uh, I'd say I lost, I lost some of that real creative edge for a while. And I'm sure you've done that also. It's like, yeah, I haven't cranked out any new idea for six months. And, and it's not because I haven't had time. It's because I didn't have the, the push. Right. And you know what? I was trying to think of how, when I started developing programs outside of comedy, I was still, I would use my current client as research for my next endeavor. So like when I first did my Mayberry speech about productivity, uh, I, I didn't have a lot of content because this was kind of thrown at me when they said, we can't pay you to be a comedian because of 9-11, we can pay you to be a speaker. So I, I did, did all this stuff to get ready. But after I got done with the speech, I asked the guy who I delivered it for, I said, you know, actually before I asked, asked him, you know, what are you guys struggling with as an industry so I can address them specifically? Right. But then afterwards, people come up and talk to me about, hey, I do this one thing and it's helped me out. And I would take notes and I would build on that. And then if I went and did a comedy show, I would ask whoever hired me, whatever company, you know, what do you guys struggle with as far as productivity or how do you reward your workers for doing a good job? So I'm interviewing business owners so that I can present to the next business owner. And that's one little way you can kind of piggyback and make the best use of your time when you're doing one program working on the next is do some research with that client you're in front of now for the next program you're going to have. And you've done that a couple of times. You've moved from the ag speech to innovation and now to do business better. So, you know, you have developed this do business better while you were doing your innovation and you developed yep. innovation while you were doing ag. So you were able to, like you say, make the most of your time, airplanes, airports, hotels, do a little research, get some, get some traction. And it's, it's a difficult deal in that you, uh, you can't, you can't not serve the client in front of you now. I mean, that's a disservice to them and your business will go, you know, it'll go to hell in a hurry if you aren't serving the customer in front of you now. But while you're serving the customer now, one thing that I do, and you're probably doing the same thing is I started the business of agriculture podcast. And that's because when I went from being political comedian to the next thing, I became an agricultural comedian. And there's probably folks saying, oh my God, is that really a thing? Well, remember there's, there's, you know, there's, there's faith-based comedy that do churches and whatnot. You and I both uh, have friends that do that. You've even done some of that. Uh, there is, uh, you know, people that are club comedy. And then there's, there's this niche over here that uh, there's not a lot of folks in it and it's fine, but I'm a farm boy that owns a farm with an agricultural economics degree. And it hit me after a few years of spinning my wheels uh, in that terrible adjustment I'm like, wait a minute, this is a real opportunity for me. But when it took off was when I started to put me into the program more versus just being funny and doing some general observational stuff and tying into humor. I started making it commentary. And then that bled into being a speaker for agriculture who was also funny because I keep up with all the stuff and I can talk logically and intelligently about uh, what's going to happen with uh, uh, you know, China 
uh, and the United States or I can, that kind of thing. So that's what you're always doing is building the next thing. Um, you know, there's folks in the speaking racket and I can name names, but I won't that are still doing the exact same material, the exact same program, the exact same set as we in comedy would call it that they did 40 years ago. You probably don't get on stage and del- deliver a same program you did yesterday because you're probably still Rick trying out three minutes of new stuff or a new story or a new twist on some content, you know, an actual point about, uh, you know, business or uh, something like that. <laughs> and these people get up and I'm like, I saw this guy do the same exact thing in 1995 and he just did it again last year. Like, I, I, I lose my mind. And I, I would lose my mind. And he's still crying at the same point in every speech. He hasn't got numb to that fact after 40 years of telling it 40 times a year. Yeah, that, that's, that's sad. And I mean, and I know one, one of the guys, you know, it's, it's the, uh, yeah, it's, it, exactly. It's a, he's a, it's a prisoner of war and all that. I'm like, you know, I'd feel like I was still imprisoned if I was still delivering the exact same program and the exact same annotations and all that stuff after 45 years. But that's true. Uh, anyway. Well, I think that that brings me to one of the the chapters I wanted to discuss in your book, Do Business Better, Uh, chapter 13 about being critical, uh, looking at your product and deciding is, can it be better? How can it be better? And if you've done all you can to make it better, asking for outside input. So what I like about what you said in this chapter was, you know, breaking down the tape, just like athletes go into a film room after a game, before a game, they break down what they think their opponent's going to do, then they play the game. And then afterwards, they break down the film to see if they did what they set out to do. We as speakers, comedians, performers, anybody, even a preacher who's in front of an audience should at some point go back and look at what you're doing. You, you'll immediately see some things you shouldn't be doing that, are, that aren't as obvious as you think they are. And one of the things I always say is just fast forward the tape with the sound down and you'll see all of a sudden one nervous ticket happens. Like every 10 seconds, you scratch your <laughs> left ear, you know. And so, yeah, you can see that and go, OK, fixing that. And something else will develop when you fix that for sure. It always does. But you know, tell us about how you, how you look at breaking down tape as a performer speaker. Yeah, I made it a chapter in the book and I actually talk about it on stage because you and all of your listeners uh, are probably familiar with it. The more, the more you've got a comedy background, the more you probably are familiar with it. And I just open up very frankly and I say the one thing that comedy teaches me, it teaches you and taught me was the power of breaking down tape, which is to be self-critical. We live in an era right now where nobody's supposed to be critical. And we've moved to the point now, Rick, where if you just give anybody a piece of data or fact it's you're a hater and a shamer. It's like, no, I'm not a hater or shamer. I'm telling you, your product doesn't work. That doesn't mean I'm a hater. So the thing is, you can be self-critical and really improve your product. And it's not just comedy. It's what comedy taught me. Most people don't have the, don't have the personality, the strength to be able to take feedback or give themselves critical feedback. And then folks say, well, you're getting personal because I told you that this bit sucked. And I said, I'm not getting personal. I'm telling you that I've done that bit 13 times in the last three months and it killed every time but tonight here in in Omaha. Let's wait before we shake that out of the, because when you're critical about your product, whether it's comedy or speeches 
or fixing uh, refrigerators, you look at yourself from your customer's perspective, and that is the powerful thing. And if it's a bad experience once, don't throw out a bit, as you know. You don't throw out a bit because it just happened to not work tonight in Omaha. If it's worked 13 times prior, it might be an audience. If it's 13 times that it doesn't work, it's a problem with the product. Right. I think it was Henry Ford that said that the the value you can bring to a, a business by being the owner is seeing everything from the customer's perspective. And we don't do that. You know, comedians typically talk about themselves. Speakers that use humor talk about the audience and they use themselves as examples that the audience can relate to. So there's those little layers of things we do. When we look back at our, our tape and break down our program or our, our comedy set, what are some things that we should look for that sometimes uh, could be a little painful or, you know, if we're looking really hard at it, can be a little bit unsettling. Yeah, it's it's something I've had to learn. Uh, you know, no offense to people that are autistic, because but you know, privately, I make the joke that I think I'm partially autistic, and I'm not picking on anybody that is autistic. But the the part about it is the uh, the emotion. You know, my wife says she's like, my God, when someone says, "Does do my do you like my pants?" and you say, "No." Or do you know? Do you, do you think I'm being stupid? You say yes. She's like they don't really want you to answer them honestly. And I said, well, that's all I know how to do is answer people honestly. So when I watch myself on tape, it is apparent to me, and you have alluded to this, you and our friend Devin Henderson, about my personality. I'm not probably Mr. Warm. Uh, I am very frankful uh, and and brutally honest. I wrote a book called Brutal Truth, which is the book before Do Business Better, and. I do cut to the chase. So when I watch myself, I now have learned to not only listen to the material, but to feel the audience because I have over 25 years of a career on stage, always been successful and been funny, but I haven't always been maybe as successful as I should have been or could have been because I don't feel, I don't feel good. I don't feel the audience. Laughter makes them feel good. Points make them feel good if there's enough emotion with it. But I don't always feel the emotion of the room. And that's a hard one for people like me that aren't touchy-feely types. So how, how have you kind of gotten better at that? Is it eye contact with the audience and letting taking a breath and, and feeling the response back? Or, or is no, it's some part it, that you still struggle with? It's a part that I still struggle with, but what I've done is I've realized there's going to be a few people that don't like me anyhow just because they are much more feely than me. I just learned that 40% of your crowd are feelers, 40% of them are uh, uh, visuals, and 20% are auditory. I'm auditory. I listen. And so it dawns on me that I'm an oddball anyhow. But what I've done is the good thing is age helps. You know, I'm going to be 50 years old uh, this summer. What I've begun to realize is I can still be honest, which I don't like not being honest, and I can be honest about a few things that are uh, lessons, and that that does create now an emotional connection, because then there's the people that come up and say, well, I thought you were kind of a hard ass, or I just thought you were one of those, you know, guys that had a background in comedy that, you know, act like, but, you know, you actually opened up about, uh, you know, what the family farm and the emotional uh toll it took on you having to deal with your siblings and your mom dying and all that. Then it's like, okay, this guy actually does have an emotion. He's just not up here uh, pandering. Yeah. And that's funny. You bring that up. Uh, Just personal stories uh, a little earlier in the program than later, you know, helps out. I went and saw Jeff Foxworthy and Jay Leno at the 
Grand Ole Opry this past Sunday night. So Leno opens up, does about 70 minutes, then Fox really does about the same. Leno doesn't talk about his family or anything until about the 50-minute mark. All right? He just joke, 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 doesn't even look, look at the audience, just doing as many jokes as he possibly can. He also didn't get his first applause break till after 50 minutes because the audience didn't care about what he was saying about until he, he revealed a little bit about himself and his family. And whether it was made up or, or partially based in truth, it doesn't matter. It's the first time he even brought them into the equation of the show. Yeah. Foxworthy gets up and got an applause break within six minutes because he, he, before he even got into his comedy, he acknowledged the audience and that it was uh, a privilege to be in front of them and that even though he's up there joking around, he knows everybody in the audience is going through something at some point and hopefully this comedy show will We'll give you a break from that. He connected instantly because as my friend looked at it and saw, he goes, Leno loves the jokes. Fox really loves the audience. Yeah, that's, a great, like, that's a great analogy. But how many speakers do we see that, that love their facts and love their program, but don't even slow down to acknowledge a response from the audience? Yeah, and you're right. They love the facts or they love themselves. And uh, I think that sometimes I probably, looking back, folks thought I loved myself, and more so I loved the work of putting on a great program. In Steve Martin's book, he talks uh, in Born Standing Up about being pissed off that he had worked so hard on material, and when his fame broke and he's doing Saturday Night Live, he would go do live concerts, and he said, it pissed me off that there was people back there uh, at the furthest back. They were just drunk and screaming and yelling. It didn't matter whether I was on stage or not. And he took it personally. So it wasn't that he's unemotional. It's that he was offended that he had worked so hard at creating the program that they wouldn't be a part of it and pay attention to it. And I, I read that in his book, and I thought, oh, gosh, that's me sometimes that instead of letting them have the show, I'm pissed off that they're interfering with other people who want to be at and in the show. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's a, a been a little bit of a challenge that we all face. But again, this is all looking at your product and what you deliver. And that's the benefit in my book, Do Business Better, that I talk about. Always look at your product, what do you deliver? A lot of times, Rick, we're not delivering and we're not selling what we think we're selling. That's look absolutely right. We think we think it's all about uh, how good I am at acting like Barney Fife. No, it's all about the camaraderie that you're helping them do after they just announced that they're going to uh, fire uh, 8% of the sales force, and then they still have to have a cocktail dinner that night. You're supposed to try and be the glue that keeps them all from... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So we're not always selling what we think we're selling. Yeah, and I think it, uh, another way you can kind of approach breaking down tape is is asking some people on the way out, how would you describe what I just did? Mm -hmm. And a lot of, when I've done that in the past with, with programs, especially the, when they're kind of new, uh, sometimes I was right on target and some people would describe a show I didn't even think I was at, let alone presented. They would give me feedback and I'm like, that's what you just saw? That's, you know, I remember <laughs> one time I did something specific. I worked 10, probably 10, 12 days on, on five minutes of, of the program specific for that group and I got done and I, you know, people were coming out and some, some had good things to say. Some people were just walking out on their own. And then one lady came up and goes, I really loved your program, but I wish you would have talked about this. And that's where I'd spent 10, 12 days creating five minutes custom for them that I presented 
and either I didn't do it right or she didn't hear it, but she didn't even, she, she walked out there like, why didn't he talk about that? I'm like, uh, I uh, did you, talk about uh, that, uh, right. but maybe not good enough. I don't know. There's a lot of people, you know, what we do, we talk about auditory, visual, and feelings. Uh, I've had people, that was because they're awkwardly uncomfortable or because they just truly don't listen. You know, when I used to be more just on the ag comedy, like I said, I want, got more information and then I became more innovation and reinvention. I, so I've always been tweaking that. So I don't do the pure comedy anymore. Everything I do now has a lot of point to it, but I deliver humorously because of my background. And I remember this deal I did, I don't know where it was, you know, somewhere in the a rural area because it was an ag event guy comes up to me afterwards and uh and i was open especially in front of these rural agriculture let's say you're doing the you know the iowa soybean association so you've got 300 people that are in the soybean business so they're business people so i make sure i make business points but i also do some of the homespun ag farm background i'm a farm boy from a dairy farm in northern indiana and i do probably five minutes of that whole tie-in like you said to create the emotion i'm the youngest of nine kids my dad you know worked nights on the railroad mom and us kids or at least a few of us did farm work i get done doing my set and this guy comes up and says that's, that's really funny now where, where are you from I thought, good God, I just did eight minutes about Indiana farm boy, Indiana farm boy, Huntington, Indiana, Dan Quayle's hometown, Huntington, Indiana. I've got jokes about Indiana and where I'm from, like 40 different punchlines about Indiana and punchlines about being a farm kid from Indiana. And this guy, yeah, real neat. Now, where are you from? What the hell did I just tell you? I know. And I've had that too. You're, where do you, I've talked about Nashville and you know, <laughs> 10 different times. I talk about country music for five minutes. I talk about, and then it'll still come up. Now, where do you live? <laughs> I made all that up, man. I'm from Mars. Came down here for a couple of gigs. Come right. go back and populate the planet. Oh, that's funny. That's right. Well, I, I don't want to uh, let you go without talking about probably my favorite part of the book. You talk about, uh, everybody has a talent stack and some people might say skill sets or background or, but I like the way you put it as a talent stack because some comedians, speakers, all, anybody that's in, on the other side of a microphone uh, are going against the skills we have or fighting an uphill battle instead of just identifying what we do well and either farming out the rest or not using the rest and using what we have better. So when we talk about a talent stack, can you kind of give us a, a few ideas of, of what goes in that stack? Yeah, so the idea I came up with was I had just read a year or so ago before I wrote finished this book myself, I read the book by uh, Scott Adams. He's the creator of Dilbert, and he's got a book called Win Bigly, and he has another book before that called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. And so it dawned on me when I was putting together all the things that you need to do to do business better. I said, all right, what do you need to do to do business better? And one thing is you need to capitalize on your strengths and you shouldn't just mask over your weaknesses, try and develop those also. But what do you really do well? And when I read his book and he talked about the talent stack, I thought, oh my goodness, this is so right down my, uh, right down my fairway. Because I don't think I'm an A plus in anything. Rick, I don't know if you're an A plus in anything either. You might be an A plus at acting like Barney Five. You might be an A plus at teaching comedy. I might be a... I don't know, but I never, I never really cared that I wasn't an A plus anything. And as long as I could be a B at everything. And so Scott Adams talks about that very thing in his book, the talent stack being, you can either be successful by being the, um, the most amazing on earth at one thing, say Michael Phelps, or you, or, or you can be 
really successful by taking a bunch of things that you're above average at and stacking them together. And that's what the whole talent stack is. So he talks about things that aren't even necessarily talent. And we should do this also as business people, business owners, performers, speakers, comedians, whatever. Okay. I'm an A minus at sales. I'm an A minus at my comedy writing. Uh, I'm an A minus, I'm an A minus at the delivery. I'm probably a B minus at my writing, to be honest. I'm a, I'm an A minus at my business skills. I'm an A at my work ethic. I'm an A at my uh, creative uh, and drive and independence. She starts stacking all those together, and that's what you're really uh, harnessing every day is these nine or 10 or 12 things. So the person listening right now says, oh, okay, I get it. It's all right that you're a D on this stuff. What you really need to do is be able to take about six or 12 things and stack them together. So for you, like you're a good writer. There was a time that your listeners may not know. I hired you to help me write. You are a way better writer than me. I think I'm an average delivery guy. My strength is timing. I have timing that cannot be taught. I have timing and crowd play that most people struggle with. I'm not a great writer of material. I'm not even sure I understand the emotion of the moment on stage or the emotional connection with the audience. So I know that my strength just within comedy is delivery, uh, my wit and my ability to go off the cuff and my timing. So within comedy, you have a talent stack. And then within your own life, you do. You know, I make the point that I'm taller than average. I have kind of a unique voice. Uh, I don't, I, I don't have a personality that is meek or timid. So those things become talent stacks you can put in there. And then you say, okay, the agricultural economics degree means that you understand numbers and the uh, being successful in business means that you're good over here and you understand business. So you just put all those things together and that's what makes you, and remember a stack of a minuses beats the hell out of one, a plus is really the idea. Right. And I, I think I know, and you know, uh, comedian speakers who are probably an A plus at failure, but also an A plus at learning from those, you know, failed enterprises and adventures and delivering that on stage in order to connect with an audience and show that they can get over the hump on these different things. We we all fail, but here's how I learned the lesson from it. So even if you're a failure all the time, <laughs> except for maybe delivering the speech about failure. Uh, if, if you're mining that and learning from it, you still have something to offer. Yeah, a lot of people who are funny are almost tragic, and and, and you aren't, and I am not, and thank goodness. And uh, but there are those people that have almost a tragedy to them, but they then are like the cat that then somehow still lands on their feet right uh, right after all of the setbacks and all of the problems. And so yeah, they if they stack together, what those people stack together is a humility, uh, a genuineness. Uh, obviously the humor and probably a couple other things to overcome for what their D minuses or F's on. They then have a few A minuses they can stack together. So that's the concept there. And I think really anybody should do that. We talk about it in comedy, but again, you can do it in anything. What, and they even talk about in this chat in the chapter, I said, it's not only your education or uh, personality traits, it's everything, your background. Uh, you know, I worked in a factory I learned a lot working the midnight shift with ex-convicts at a dusty mill in, in 1988. Uh, so there's background, jobs you've had, classes you've taken, and uh, that's where you start putting all those together and you kind of create the snowball 
known as here's so many things that are sticking together that are going to make me powerful. And that's what the talent stack's all about. I think we, we all could do that better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting if everybody just takes that time for some personal inventory, even if you just, just today, after listening to this podcast, grab a sheet of paper, grab a pencil and just list the jobs you've had, the bosses you've had, the coworkers you've had, and the, maybe the, the best and worst day at each of those jobs. Also, don't forget background. Don't forget background. Like saying, okay, uh, like you, you can say the background I have was I was a data entry person and man, oh man, it was like every day was like uh, the television show, The Office. And so I've got that. And you say, is that a talent stack? Well, it gave me this rich fodder of material. So background and jobs held, family stuff can be really rich also. Yeah. And all that stuff is relatable. You know, sometimes concepts, bullet points, statistics, they're impressive, they're attention getting, but they're not relatable. Anytime you convey an idea to an audience through emotion and through revelation of, of what you discovered from a downtime or from somebody else or a failure, that's what people connect with after the program. And that's, that's why they walk up to you to pat you on the back or to offer you a piece of advice or to share their story. So we've all heard almost after every single program I've ever given, somebody come up and say, oh man, when you were talking about that, it made me think about this. And that's one way a guy like you, who's not emotional on stage necessarily knows that you connected with the audience afterwards even. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big thing. So the other thing about talent stack is if, cause I really want your listeners to get the most of it. Cause again, we're trying to help people do business better. Of course I want them to buy my book, do business better. Also do business better. Damien Mason. You can find it at DamienMason.com. but here's a, a big thing to, before you can synergize the stack, write down those things that you're above average at. I mean, it's as easy as that. What What's unique about you? Uh, people use the word unique. Unique really means like one of a kind. So whatever is different about you that's different in a good way, what differentiates you and what are you better at than other people? And you're like, oh, I don't know. It sounds kind of cocky. Again, what Rick and I just talked about, he's a better joke writer than me. Uh, I'm probably a better timer than most comedians, you, you know, so there's, there's nothing wrong with saying, here's what I'm good at and here's what I'm above average at, because then you start saying, well, I better play to my strengths. Yeah, that sounds good. And maybe we'll just leave it right there. There's, there's plenty more in the book. If, uh, anybody who's listening is one of my Patreon supporters, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a bonus podcast with Damien just on how he put together this do business better books. I know as speakers and comedians, we have books inside of us. So Patreon supporters, be on the lookout for that. You'll get a heads up in the next uh, email when I post that. But Damien, I want to say thanks again for spending some time today. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous you're out there in Arizona. It's nice and sunny. I know you're glad you're not in northern Indiana where storms and snow and things seem to roll through even through mid-April. So uh, this, is a li- this is a life by design. Uh, my nephew was out visiting me not too long ago, and he said, this is really awesome. you got a great back porch. It's sunny here, and you look at the mountains. And I said, well, this wasn't just by happenstance. I kind of I kind of put this together intentionally. <laughs> right. right. And you know what? Not a bad way to go. Cool, Damien. Thanks a lot. And everybody, check out DamienMason.com, his book, Do Business Better. He's got Brutal Truth on there, the other book he wrote as well, a lot more information. And I assume you still have a picture or two somewhere in there of you decked out as Bill Clinton that people are interested in. Uh, yeah, I think they can still find it on YouTube. I've got tons of videos up on YouTube. So check out Damian Mason on YouTube. And then obviously you can keep up with me on social at Damian P. Mason on Twitter. Damian Mason Professional Speaker is my Facebook page. And then Damian Mason on uh, LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram. I think it's called Damian Mason Speaker. So cool. I'd love it. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thanks for letting me talk to your listeners. And uh, thanks for helping me promote Do Business Better. You bet. Thanks, buddy. 
There you go, Damian Mason. And if you're a Patreon supporter, yes, there's already an episode sitting there waiting for you, a bonus episode about how to write a book, or how at least Damian wrote a book, and you can learn from his tips. Hope you enjoyed that. Damien's a good guy. Uh, he listed all of his social media links. They're also in the show notes. And he did not mention, I don't believe, that he has a podcast. And he recently interviewed me on that. And that episode link is in the show notes as well. Uh, you can check him out, DamienMason.com, with links to all those things. Or check out our show notes at SchoolOfLaughs.com. Also, last but not least, if you are in the Nashville area and you have yet to take the performance class that I offer, we have one coming up. May, right? You're probably listening to this on May 1st if you listen to it on the day of release. Well, our classes are May 6th, 13th, and 20th. Those are Mondays from 6 to 8 p.m. downtown area Nashville. I can get you the deets if you want them. I've got two spots left. Would love to have you come along. Cost is 200 and that includes us very focused feedback on your material each and every week. All right. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening. Uh, stay safe out there and stay funny. listening to the school of laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more school of laughs podcast you can find them on itunes and stitcher.com and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for information on upcoming live and online classes visit schooloflaughs.com. until next time stay tuned stay focused and stay money